darling. Mummy won't be gone long. She just has to go and pluck that big bad fairy's wings. You're listening to Once, episode 295, where bluebirds fly. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And I'm Heather Ordover. And we're happy to have you joining us. We hope you will join us for our upcoming finale party in Cincinnati. If you want to register for that, registration is free. Just show up. Let us know if you'll be joining us for the dinner reservation at a local restaurant, too, and breakfast the day after. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. We'll watch the special before Once Upon a Time. We'll watch the two-hour finale, and we'll record our podcast there in front of a live audience. It'll be a whole lot of fun. We hope you can join us for it, even if it's only a season finale, but especially if it's a series finale. So register for our finale party in Cincinnati over at oncepodcast.com slash party, and we would love to have you with us. This episode of Once Upon a Time, where bluebirds fly, is written by David H. Goodman and Bridget Hales. Bridget has written only two other episodes, Sisters and dark waters. Now, the interesting thing with this, she must be like a a Zelina expert. She's because, the resident sister expert. Because sisters, if you remember, was the episode where young Zelina and young Regina meet. And that was basically the prequel to this episode's flashback. So, the prequel. I'm guessing Bridget Hales is the young Zelina expert then. Nice. The music in this episode was really good. It was. It was. I am looking forward to a soundtrack for the entire series. They released season one and season two soundtracks, but haven't released soundtracks since then for Once Upon a Time. Maybe they've recycled a lot of music, so there hasn't really been enough to justify a third or fourth and fifth and sixth. Yeah, it seems like they don't recycle too much, but maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe it's just... I don't know, because it seems like there are scoring sessions for... A lot of episodes. But. Yeah, every episode, the way a soundtrack works is there's so much music that's recorded for each episode and for the season, but not all of it is complete and not all of it is necessarily something you'd want to listen to, like just sit down and listen right. to and enjoy. Uh, right. But this season, I, I mean, all of the seasons, really, Mark Isham has done a, a fantastic job with the music. So if nothing else, I just love a once upon a time, the complete soundtrack by Mark Isham album. That's across several CDs or MP3s or or something like that. I want all of the music, especially (laughs) the, the closing music from this episode I thought was really good. Very nicely building up to the final battle. (sighs) The final battle. I'll just go ahead and say now, I was trying to count, but I wasn't trying too hard. They said it at least four times. Twice in one scene. (laughs) But maybe I may have missed some. So we hope you got your hydration from this episode. (laughs) I want, I I just, I would be thrilled if all of you would count and let us know, maybe by Twitter, 
how many times you hear the word final battle in the last few episodes. Tweet us at once podcast every time you hear it. The title. Of, <laughs> Maybe not every time you hear it. <laughs> the title of this episode, Where Bluebirds Fly, is from the song Over the Rainbow, yeah. which was written for the 1939 movie The Wizard of Oz. And I'm starting to realize that it might make me old that I thought everybody knew that. Okay, Jeremy, you just made me so happy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Because I thought, I, I actually went back and I, I listened to your show last week when I couldn't make it. And then I um, I listened to the initial reactions and Daniel, I felt so old listening to you and Aaron. Oh. I mean, I have a birthday coming up and that is never fun, but oh, man, Jeremy, you are my best friend right now. Thank you so much. BFF. I grew up with it. On TV, like broadcast um, on network I'm sure TV. we had it recorded. Yeah. Also makes me old. We had Unreal it on VHS. to real. Uh, yeah, Daniel. Unreal to real. real. To real. <laughs> VHS basically is real to real if you think about it. It's just yes. in a more compact form. Yeah. That's true. On Super 8. Let's start our discussion in the past on the Yellow Brick Road. Now, I played this several times for Jeremy because several times. Remember what's happening here in this scene? He's holding this little nest from a that had a has a baby bird in it in the egg, and then young Zelina comes up. Excuse me. Is that egg? Excuse me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, nope. But now it is. <laughs> we'll never be able to hear it. The original way again <laughs> excuse me <laughs> well uh, hey we should have eggs at our finale party maybe we will uh, <laughs> we might also want to have 10 cups because stanum <laughs> oh, as aaron pointed out stanum that is with two ends means 10 t-i-n that is not 10 but it means 10 and uh but for this character they spelled it with one in stanum s-t-a-n-u-m Whereas the the word that means 10 is S-T-A-N-M-U-M, in case you're interested. But nice to see the yellow brick road again. Yes. (laughs) I've missed that guy. (laughs) It is kind of iconic. And it was very fun to see it. I have to say, I think that I've forgotten pieces of the Oz flashbacks. Because I didn't think we had seen the yellow brick road before. At least not in the daytime. Do you think they've gotten better with their outdoor sets? Because for a few seasons, it was like everything was dark everywhere they went. Oz was always nighttime. Neverland was always nighttime. Well, wasn't that because they had to do all those CG and it's it's much easier to Maybe. blend the, the colors? Because like the Harry Potter tint, that kind of grayish blue, mm-hmm. I know a lot of that was because that was it was great for mood, but it was also because there was so much CG that they had to, <laughs> had to do. So I just kind of assumed that that was why everything always looked like it was nighttime. They did bring out the lion entirely at night. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. CG, when you're doing that much character animation, it's nice to have it when it's dark because then you don't have to worry about the detail as much. But Jenny and I were talking just recently about how it seems whenever they do a green screen, the lighting and color just always looks off slightly and Mm. that's when it's nighttime like everyone looks a bit too yellowish or a bit too bluish Mm -hmm. uh, and not all that realistic like some of the contrast is gone from it a little bit some of that i think is in the budget that they have for production 
and the speed at which they need to push these episodes out as they're editing them and they don't have all the time to perfect the color. Yeah, it must be difficult to color correct for something like that when you're combining elements that started in different media. So besides Stanham being the Tin Man, who else is he really, Heather? Well, mm-hmm. I went back and looked because I, at first I thought, oh, this is this is either a reference, the, the way that they met up was either a reference to Wicked, the book that was kind of a revisionist version of the Oz books, or it was straight out of Frank Albaum's book. And what I found out was that uh, he is a winky because there is the the winky country, which is the eastern part of Oz. It's very directional, very north, south, east, and west. And the east country is rich in tin. So he actually has his castle there, the Tin Woodman Castle, not Woodsman. Uh, Evidently, it's only in fan fiction that he became the Tin Woodsman. But he has his castle there, and the place is rich in tin. And there's a later book where the wizard has gone in. Oh, no, that's in Wicked. In Wicked, he goes in and mines all the tin and kind of destroys the countryside. And he's he's very much like the Onceler in the Lorax book. People have, have ascribed this tin thing to all sorts of stuff. To They've tied it to the stock market in 1900. And this is what Frank Elbaum was really trying to say. His son finally said, um, no, he was writing a book on window dressing, like making window decorations for you know, like the stores at Christmas time have those window scenes that they put up. And so he was making one. He liked to make kind of flashy stuff. And he made a, a person, in quotation marks, out of a, a boiler pan and some tin cans. And he just wanted it to be sparkly and shiny. Huh. And then later wound up writing a book and thought, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's make him a character. So, Hmm. It didn't have it didn't have such interesting origins as as these uh, social scientists thought. But <laughs> so <laughs> so it was actually in the original book or books. Mm-hmm. He huh. is, and he is a winky, and he he has his own castle. At least by the um, by the time the series was um, more or less complete, there are many many Oz books. I'd actually forgotten which, that there was a series. And then when you said fan fiction, I just my mind was off in a twister somewhere. Like, what what is <laughs> this? How is there fan fiction for Wizard there of is, Oz? It's the same way people have kind of done their own versions of <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and They have? <laughs> oh my There's head. fan fiction about everything, including everything. us. <laughs> Don't what? <remind> me. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah, our our super hardcore fans, um, <laughs> which I think there's only one of them. His name is Dachshund, um, has written fan fiction about us. Oh my god. <laughs> that will not be in the show notes, by the way. <laughs> oh. Well, the, so anyway, <laughs> you're mentioning that he's from the east uh, mm-hmm. is also interesting because later on we see the lion that then loses its courage. And did he lose it or did he not have any? I was so confused. He uh, he, he lost. Yeah, Zelina when she magicked him, then the lion became courageless. It became a coward. Cowardly. That's what lion. I would have thought, but they didn't play it off that way to me. No, so. they didn't. Thank you. But um, in in the next scene, when Zelina is having her lonely meal, uh, 
they mentioned that it was the Wicked Witch of the North who cursed Stanham to turn into tin. So I went back and looked at previous episodes of Once Upon a Time and found that it was in the episode Kansas in season three when we learned about the different witches from different directions in Oz. North, south, east, west, and such. And Glinda was the witch from the south, and she was the one to represent love. The witch from the north, whom we never heard a name for, was to represent wisdom. The witch from the east was to represent courage. And the witch from the west, who is Zelina, was supposed to represent innocence. So that uh, Stanham comes from the east, where the witch from the east represents courage, is funny because then the lion, now the lion is just here in Oz. We don't really know, like, is it in the eastern area or what? But the lion from the story, you know, needs courage. And here he's robbed of that. Interesting little connections, maybe grasping at straws a little bit, but nonetheless cool. No, it's interesting. And, the, and there are people who are real fans of the Oz books in general and know all like 15 of them chapter and verse. So, and they will get mad <laughs> at me if I said anything wrong. I'll get email. You can comment on the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 295. <laughs> And for everyone who's thought, oh, the comments are broken, that is now fixed. Thank you for pointing that out, the multiple people who did. Okay. What else, though, about the, the witches from the different directions? Because he said that it was the wicked witch of the north. Now, in initial reactions, we thought, well, wasn't that Glinda? But then someone in the chat room had said, well, remember, Glinda was banished. However, Glinda was from the south. The witch from the north was wisdom. Is it that there's a witch and then there's a wicked witch for each of these regions? I think the the witch from the north and the witches from the north and the south were the good ones because they had funky names too. The, I mean, the real ones that are actually appear in the book. Wicked witch of the west rules over the Munchkins. Wicked witch of the east rules over the Winkies. Uh, there's the good witch of the north, whose name is either Lacosta or Tatipu. <laughs> because it was written in 1900, so just we'll all get over ourselves for that one. And then Glinda, <laughs> Glinda was the Good Witch of the South. She is later in the books revealed to be the most powerful of the four. However, in uh, one of the later Oz books that comes way way later, it's revealed that even she was afraid of the Wicked Witch of the West. Hmm. That 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 witch was supposed to be so powerful. But you've got good for North and South, and wicked for East and West. But it could be possible, at least in the Once Upon a Time universe, that there is a wicked witch for each of the directions, as well as a good witch from each of them. Sure. Because I think otherwise we run out of witches and and possible villains. And then we start having to decide which witch do we use for this scene. (laughs) It's entirely possible in the Once Upon a Time universe that wicked is like a classification or a school you join, or anything super technical when really it was just supposed to be a word in English that meant a thing. We've already had multiple battles of evil versus wicked. That's true. And wicked is supposed to always win. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. The lion was fun to see. I especially enjoyed uh, seeing the change in the lion when Zelina hit it, cursed it in some way, and then just to see it so... Uh, sheepish, you know? and let's call that lion Lambert, the sheepish lion oh. Lambert. He's always crying. 
No. You didn't grow up with that cartoon? Mm, not on purpose. Did. Okay. That Tried was one of my to. favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't very satisfied with the lion. Thank I feel you. bad. I was not. I, I thought he was I thought his characterization was rather squishy. <laughs> now I was I was sleepy the first time I saw it. And I did have to watch after Sunday, so I was able to back it up. I had to watch the lion attack like five times because between my drowsiness and the way it was done, I was so confused. I thought he flew. I th- yes. I, I, maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, winged monkeys were there mm-hmm. because I thought, what just happened? I thought Stanham was grabbed off the road and pulled somewhere. But then there's a lion and I'm like, Why? Is there a lot? Weren't we looking for like a heart? Where? What's the lion? And then, and then we came back to it. And even rewatching, I just, I, they got done with the lion, and I just sort of felt like, huh, what's with the chimp and the bug? Well, Can we get back to me? The, the lion just wanted to go all ghost in the darkness on this. What? <laughs> Separate oh, movie. Oh. Not recommended for kids. I I think I may have seen that once upon a time. Yeah. The hook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but yeah, was he was he supposed to be guarding the heart? Because I just we got done with the scene even rewatching and I just couldn't figure out why they brought the lion in except for the sake of wasn't, Hey Oz, we haven't seen the wasn't lion. Wasn't he supposed to be the monster? Yeah. Monster. Okay, cuz that it took me two watchings to figure that one out. What monster? I missed that they, they remember the Stanham says that he's guarded by a fearsome monster. That's why I need you, Zelina, to go with me. See, Jeremy, you and I had the same problem. <laughs> they spout so much mythology, like throwaway mythology that just comes up and goes away in like three scenes that I think I actually have gone mythology blind in my head. Yeah, I you think know, with ears, mythology death, maybe. What they often think of is hey, here's an opportunity to at least give a nod to something either to this greater mythology that we only barely touched on or to this tiny little thing. Like remember Jack Spratt? Yes. And the one couple that was seen back in, I think season two, uh, we just saw them at the door and we thought, Hey, that's probably Jack Spratt. And, and that they like doing those kinds of things. (laughs) And we've seen them do that throughout once upon a time. I think sometimes it's nice because it's just like confirming that, yay, that other story is part of this whole universe. Other times it's a little bit forced. Like, do you really have to bring that character in? I think it would have worked for me if they had come to a place where they were, were like, okay, we are aware that we now must face the monster. And it turned out to be the lion and everyone went, oh, it's the lion. And that's how he became cowardly. But this was, I, you know, like I say... I apparently am now minor mythology deaf. So they're like guarded by fearsome beasts just in one ear and out the other. I don't even hear that. I'm just kind of hunting mentally without thinking about it. I'm hunting for which MacGuffin are we going after and like how important is it? And so they go off, but they were totally caught off guard by the line. So it felt like a total sidetrack to me, which it kind of was. It just felt like it was out of nowhere because he was. Anyone else counting how many times Jeremy says witch and thinking like the actual <laughs> kind of witch? <laughs> which which is which? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, let's count all the words. Final battle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the crimson heart. Now the whole What'd point. You call me? <laughs> the whole point of this flashback is to 
set up the idea of the crimson heart. Well, see, it wasn't crimson either. No. It was kind you. of pale pink and looked like it went on my grandma's shelf. <laughs> it, it looked like a Christmas tree ornament yeah, but, for Valentine's Day. But it's the kind of Christmas tree ornament you can never actually hang on the tree because yes. it's too big and it pulls every branch you try down. And so yes. finally you're like, okay, we're just going to put this in this little decorative box on the so shelf. So basically it's a hallmark <laughs> Christmas tree ornament. <laughs> yes. Since yes. nothing there is actually designed to be truly hung yeah. on a tree. Yes. You actually need a tree branch to put it on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But, yeah. and we'll discuss this more in the Storybrook timeline, but this these flashbacks, as neat as it was to see young Zelina for that one brief scene and then see mm-hmm. Oz again, kind of further building on this fact that we're getting to see almost all of the different realms in these last few episodes of this season maybe of the series um but this crimson heart not really necessary for the story because there is something else they could have used instead of the crimson heart actually a couple things they could have used instead of the crimson heart but we'll discuss those more when we get to the storybook timeline of it but i have to say this whole like all of it was worth it if only to get us the line i'm only going to quote part of it it's what I was trying to tell you before the lion attack. You don't need a time travel spell. <laughs> lion attack and time travel spell in the same sentence. Only on Once Upon a Time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, maybe Dorothy will come back and save you. <laughs> Aw. That, what was it? Gingham clad? Oh, she <laughs> Her name another great fluffy little yes. nerf herder. Gingham, <laughs> gingham clad goody two shoes. Zelina gets all the best lines, especially names for people. Yes. So, what yes. really was his reason for wanting this heart? Was it that the heart would be like Iron Man's arc reactor and suck all of the shrapnel out of his body and keep him then cool or something? Or like I thought that was kind of squishy too. Yeah. Yeah. His reasoning wasn't too firm for me. It was as squishy as his supposedly tin clothes, which were clearly <laughs> not tin. <laughs> there were elements of it that were sort of high school play. Not going to lie. That's true. And it, it put me in a position later when we found out that the heart was a power-sucking device. When I thought, oh, wow, did he set her up? Right. Be- yeah. Because that that would make sense if he if he you know, managed to to wheedle himself into her whatever was left of her ethical horizon and convince her to go with him. And then it was all a ploy to get her power so that she would stop being wicked. I could totally buy that. Maybe, but as the watcher said, Stanham seems like a pretty solid dude. He does. Uh, 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 <laughs> But it's true. It is true. It's true. And that's why I hesitated when when that became an, an option, you know, uh, storyline-wise, when it became an option that he could have rigged this whole thing just to, to rob her of her power. Because I thought, no, but that doesn't fit. I mean, he really seems honestly to be – he was a good guy when he was a kid. Yeah. And it it could be that maybe he had a thing for Zelina but just didn't have the heart to tell her. Oh! Oh, you are so dangerous tonight. Oh, it's it's the watcher, not me. It's really her. Uh, uh, 
And, okay, I have to read these others because these are just so good. The Watcher also said he's probably been out of the dating game so long that he's now a little rusty. Uh... And he probably would have gotten that heart if he'd worked up the courage to axe her out. Uh... The Watcher, ladies and gentlemen. The, the last one was a little thin. I can't I can't give you axe instead of ask. No. Uh, but you know who can give us axe and who has a heart and who I'm has sorry, courage? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's our wonderful heroes who support this podcast episode after episode. They bring the axe, they chop the tree down, and they bring the house down with their generosity for the podcast and support for the podcast. They have the bravery to be heroes for this podcast. And we are so grateful for their support. For this episode, we have one supporter to thank by name, and that's Lisa Slack. You hear Lisa's name on every episode of One's Podcast because she just enjoys us that much. Sometimes, Lisa, do you still listen to us? Do you think she's the Black Fairy of One's Podcast? Oh, she could be. Wait, what is that? <laughs> Wait, mean? no, she's a hero. Yes, she's a hero. I mean, yep, what? What? Maybe she's the blue fairy of Maybe. one's podcast. She's behind the scenes fairy. and manipulating everything. Wait, you did mean sneaky fairy. That's rude. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> but Lisa Slack, thank you very much for your support and such generous support, too. She's been mentioned in every episode of the podcast now for years. Because she's giving that much to the podcast. So thank you very much, Lisa, for your support. Yay, and we also have 28 heroes on Patreon contributing from as little as a dollar per month to much more than that. Now, if you'd like to be an amazing hero, too, and demonstrate your axe-wielding skills and demonstrate to us how you have a heart of gold, not a heart of tin, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and support us for what you think the podcast is worth to you, what kind of value we bring to your life life, what kind of laughter we bring to your day, what kind of enjoyment we bring maybe to the show that maybe you don't enjoy the TV show as much anymore. But as some of our other listeners have said, we make the show fun. Maybe we're that way for you. So whatever value we bring to you, would you consider giving some value back? And the way that works best to do that is to go to oncepodcast.com slash hero and check out your options there. That's at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Moving on to the present. Mm-hmm. Zelina is back at her farmhouse being all wicked again and a mother. Creepy black fairy is very creepy. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Don't let her touch the baby. And people, one more time. This is why you don't try to just live while there is great evil in town. At any moment, she could be anywhere Holding anyone's baby, if they have a baby, or, you know, holding the throat of anybody's loved one, holding a beloved pet. She could be anywhere (laughs) at any moment. Toto. And when she says things like how much she likes the new baby smell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You mean for dinner? What are we talking about? (laughs) Well, at least we know that she doesn't eat babies uh she's been recruiting do we know that though well yeah we don't know because we saw in the dark realm that she was stealing babies and she would bring them to work in the mines except for gideon that baby was special all the others 
were apparently mine workers. What if she used to work with Blind Witch? And Blind Witch just got Ooh. a percentage. Uh, that starts to get even weirder. Well, the Blind Witch was a thing. Yeah. It's all weird. Yeah. <laughs> she did enjoy eating children. <laughs> Thank you for spelling it out for us. <laughs> with gravy or butter. butter. <laughs> ah, good times. Good times. Season one. I'll miss you, buddy. But the Black Fairy came here because she heard Zelina was wicked and to say final battle. <laughs> For the first time in the episode. yeah, it, it does kind of strike me as odd that everyone's talking about the final battle. Like, isn't this the kind of thing that isn't necessarily planned, but it kind of happens? See, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think how to say this without, sound, without getting politically sensitive. Like, <laughs> Hitler didn't go around saying, I'm going to start World War II. Yeah. He did things. A terrible war had to happen, and there you go. We call it World War Two in the past. In this case, yes, the prophecy retconedly might say the final battle is coming, but one hardly goes about saying, I'm here to start the final battle. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to start the final battle. Well, just, you know, you must have a purpose other than being like, maybe that's all she knows. She's like... I don't know. There's this thing. It's called the final battle, and I've got to just go start it, or I won't get what I want. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I actually am trying to accomplish other than I'm going to do things that feel like I might be starting the final battle. I think that might actually be what it's been like in the writer's room. They don't know what the final battle... Like, I could imagine that they didn't even know what the final battle would look like. When it starts, you'll know it, because they're going to say, the final battle has begun. If those words are spoken... (laughs) I won't eat my hat because I really think they will be spoken. And because he likes his hat. But I'd like everyone to send me presents if those were just spoken. Like maybe a new hat or an edible hat. <laughs> Please send me an edible hat. If, if someone says the final battle has begun. One's podcast at P.O. Box 739, <laughs> Burlington, Kentucky, 41005. All chocolate is welcome, by the way. <laughs> and and just to clarify... Uh, Jeremy, because there was a, a comment in the chat room, I think what, what Jeremy was saying was that Hitler Hitler didn't stand up and give speeches saying, I am now starting World War II. Yes, it was not Because entitled. it's like during, yeah, there was, <laughs> because World War I wasn't even called World War I right after it. It was called right. the Great War. There, mm-hmm. Nobody expected to have another one. That was not, not supposed to happen. Right. And no one set out to start the Great War. Correct. Like, Correct. They, they were, somebody wanted something. And they yeah. did bad stuff to get it. That's how it always happens. And yeah. Well, I mean, it, he did. He definitely wanted to win. He wanted to have his third Reich. He wanted to rule over everybody. If he could have gotten that without fighting, I'm sure he would have been more than happy to. And what Just, bothers you know, me maybe. most <laughs> is that they're talking to each other yes. about the final battle. Yes. yes. We don't have yes. any clear idea of Black Fairy's motivation. She literally has stated her motivation is to start the final battle, which that I I'm having a problem with it. It just feels as lazy as when the author writes Emma wins the final battle. Why don't you try maybe it's erasing it because it's like you are a terrible author. You need to actually spell this out and write the scene and use a creative thought. 
But this episode <laughs> does answer questions like, can the author just write Emma into victory? Well, now we know he can't. And That's nice to know. It answers the question, mm-hmm. can Henry be trusted as the author? No, he can't. <laughs> He can't be trusted with anything. Well, and also it answers this question of, okay, if, if everyone's talking about the final battle, why doesn't Emma or someone else just go up to Black Fairy and say, surprise, or maybe do it more menacingly, surprise, season four. Our surprise. And defeat her right then. Well, this episode, I think, addresses that and shows that, well... She is basically untouchable. The only time she could possibly be defeated is if Desmond goes and removes the cork. And then, I mean, sorry, (laughs) during this final battle will be the only moment that she'll be vulnerable enough to actually be defeated. Desmond, you're so tricky. (laughs) Thank you. That made me happy. By the way, thank you for making the nosebleed reference with Rebecca Mater in the yes. reaction. <laughs> have to have uh, to get it in. Wonderful. Watch Lost. Yes. Seriously. We we talk <laughs> about Lost often with great respect because yes. uh, I haven't be watched a whole lot of respect. TV shows, but I still feel like as much as people didn't like Lost or how Lost ended, I think one thing that's indisputable is that it's one of, if not the most well, the best written TV show ever with its continuity, with uh, the storyline, with development, with hidden clues and all kinds of stuff. That's why we talk about it so much with such great respect because it was so well done. Do you think that part of that was because Lindelof and and, uh, Carlton Cuse understood the DVR culture and knew that now we were at a point where people were going to be able to TiVo it and rewind? For sure. find the easter eggs i felt like it was the first show where the guys running it were young enough to be hip to that well they figured it out (laughs) to sidetrack for a moment they got they got it when the polar bear (laughs) scene early on in season (laughs) one when people freeze framed that and saw what a hilarious dummy bear it was they (laughs) figured it out pretty quickly and they put stuff in after that for the freeze framers right But bringing it back to Once Upon a Time, Black Fairy raises a very good point here. One wouldn't want to be alone for what's coming. That is so true. What's coming? Say it. Say it. It is the finale (laughs) party in Cincinnati. (laughs) You wouldn't want to be alone that night. Exactly. You would not want to watch Once Upon a Time's season finale, maybe even series finale alone. Would you? I mean, think of how sad and lonely that would be and how you might not even have someone to get the salt for you. You'd be so alone. But not if you join us for the finale party. It's going to be a lot of fun in the greater Cincinnati area at Red Tree Art Gallery and Coffee Shop. And we'll be eating dinner across the street at a really cool place that's uh, unique that the the main entree menu changes every day because things are locally sourced. It's very artisanal, which I think means very strong. (laughs) But it's nice and it's affordable too. So don't think that this is going to be like $50 for a meal or something. But it's affordable. We'll be having dinner before the finale. We'll get to watch the special together. That's not the Lego movie, although that is awesome. 
Everything that is was unintentional. Uh, we'll also have breakfast the day after for anyone that's staying in the area. So if you would like to join us for the finale party, and I know you'd love to, please work it out some way that you could join us for this season finale, possible series finale. And here's the thing I really hate is we may not know whether it's a series finale uh. Until after uh, the season is over. Drives me insane. So I really, really recommend if there is one party you could ever possibly attend in Cincinnati, please make it this one. If there is a seventh season, we'll also have a series finale or season finale for seventh season and such. But I really feel like this could be the series finale. So we'd love to have you there. Register over at oncepodcast.com slash party. You can also get the addresses for the different locations we'll be at over there and see the schedule. So that way you can make your plans accordingly, reserve a hotel room, make lodging, Airbnb, anything like that that you need to. We'd love to see you there over at oncepodcast.com slash party. So that way you don't have to be alone for what's coming. Plus Cincinnati's cool. It is. Do it you, is cool. It is. Do you know, like do you think that maybe they won't tell us about the series finale beforehand because they don't want steveston to be overrun (laughs) (laughs) overrun with parties yes because they're finished recording because but yes but if we knew well in advance that it was the series finale we can't be the only ones who think that we should watch it perhaps in steveston that's true yeah steveston (laughs) or well what they would probably be more interested in people doing is making a trip out to disneyland or disney world i don't care that's not where granny's is Interestingly, is where originally I planned for us to have a series finale party in Disneyland because I thought we would be moved to Phoenix, but we changed our mind. We decided not to move to Phoenix to stay in the Cincinnati area. Because it's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and yeah. And also, this is much more affordable than that plan. Yeah. And uh, yes. I have to be very careful how I make this next segue. Mm. Uh-oh. Because oh, good grief! <laughs> I want to talk about pancakes, <laughs> but I'm not offering pancakes. No, you will not make pancakes. <laughs> that they're evil. Why are they what? doing this to all our food? Yeah, pancakes are the new tacos. It harkens back to the stripes, Bill Murray's stripes movie. It does the Aunt Jemima treatment. Go look it up. I do. do I want to. Yeah, Is it's it's Bill Murray. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's PG thirteen at that. Well, no, <laughs> no the, that particular moment mm. is totally PG. Okay, but yes, I think this was people who had watched Stripes several times who Funny. decided that she was going to be making pancakes. Well, you know, the as awkward as this is, and uh, anyone who's listened to our podcast for a while knows that. I'm a big fan of reserving sex for marriage and keeping sex within marriage. There are all kinds of practical reasons for that, too, besides moral reasons. But that aside, the funny thing about all this is, remember, season two, Emma walked in on Charming and Snow, and that's where the tacos joke came in. And so it's funny to see this flipped around then on Snow, and now it's a pancakes joke. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. However, we could still have both of those foods at our party. Yes. <laughs> Just saying. And we have to be very careful how we word that now. Which is cruel. At the sheriff's station, 
it's it, this whole episode really is developing Zelina's character a whole lot. And I like that. And finally getting to mature her character, not mature as in that her character was underdeveloped, but actual maturity of her as a person. Yeah. Because from the beginning of this episode, and we see this really well illustrated here in the sheriff's station, she is a good guy. She's on the good guy's side, but she's not a good team player. She wants to do everything on her own because she believes she's the best and the most powerful. And by the end of this episode, we see that she's given that up and has finally decided to be a team player. Yeah. All this time, a big one for the team. Have we been? Were we supposed to just assume that they're just fighting all the time because they're sisters? Like, is that an assumption that that's just a sister thing? Because bugs me if that's true. They like. I guess when she was trying to help them, I was sort of. She's gone back and forth so much, but not in a severe Rumpelstiltskin or early Regina way. She's just like I can never figure out whose team she's on. That's partially because she's mostly on her team. Yeah. But then they were fighting, and I was, but it was less severe. And they called it sibling rivalry. And I was like, why does Regina talk to her that way anyway? And that went on throughout the episode. It was so strange. Well, yeah. maturity-wise in their relationship, it's as if they're 10 years old, both of them. Right. Because that's about where they seem with the relationship, where I'm they, powerful they than you. kind of see themselves as best <laughs> friends, but also as enemies. They're in the frenemy stage of their <laughs> family relationship and fighting and bickering and so much. All those walls they put up. Yeah. <laughs> really seems like just two sisters fighting with each other. And uh, to see them finally resolve that in this episode is nice. So this episode... It's not an epic episode. It's also not a horrible episode. I think this episode as a whole really nicely moved along the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, flashbacks didn't do really do going? much. <laughs> to the final battle. <laughs> Which was mentioned twice in this uh, scene <laughs> <yeah>. by name. <laughs> um, but it's, it's also nicely developing Zelina's character. I, I know yeah. some people think the flashbacks didn't really do much for her character. Okay, that aside. I just like this that episode, they focused on her again. Yeah. They've had her around. She's great. So focusing on her again and showing more of her history and reminding everyone before she did what she did, what it means to her. I thought that was good. I didn't think it served no purpose. I think it, well, it introduced two things, the thing that they used and reintroduced how attached she is to her power. Hmm. Another thing that was introduced in the sheriff's station, another very interesting wardrobe choice for Emma. (laughs) Very flowery. Yeah. yeah, so everything's been weirdly flowery. You know, I, it's it's never felt like that's in character for her. But it made me wonder if it is a subtle yet not so subtle way of starting to build up to something else related to her tattoo. Oh, her tattoo. The flower tattoo on her wrist. On her wrist, which they made pretty prominent again an episode or two ago. Yeah, last episode uh, before this one. Hmm. That's interesting. I was thinking like the flowery stuff was kind of building up more toward wedding kind of thing. Oh, I don't know. Girliness. She's girliness. Yeah. The one that everybody kept talking about because she was wearing it for weeks also was kind of floral. Yeah, yeah it was. It was, but that actually makes a lot more sense because we've never been particularly 
uh, engaged with girliness for the girls on the show. Right. <laughs> Snow being the one who can kick anybody. <laughs> yeah, that actually, Jeremy, thank you. That makes that makes a lot more sense to me. I'd been having a hard time figuring out what they were going for with the, the clothes. It's funny. On no other TV show would you hear two guys <laughs> legitimately <know>. discussing <laughs> a woman's clothing in the TV show. Yeah. Only in one's and, podcast. And the flowery nature of it. Yes. Well, the importance of the flowery nature. And the, I mean, the reason behind it is because she wore basically the same thing for years and years and yes. years. And then, I mean, her stinking jacket got a backstory so like her clothes have mattered for a long time and then when she stops wearing the armor it's like huh that is never something that i thought was in keeping with emma's personality yeah. i mean it's not i don't know what i thought was but just yeah. uh it, literally she doesn't seem like a flowery person her yellow bug got a backstory her red <laughs> jacket got a backstory <laughs> so her tattoo is next to right. get a backstory we're due and it's a flower so there you go <laughs> yep. Regina mentioned that she wants to try to use a locator spell on this portion of the wand to try and find the remaining pieces. <laughs> and Gareth sent in this feedback saying, when I saw that this episode was taking place in Oz, I thought for sure they would find the second piece of the wand there. The fact that they didn't makes me think that my original theory of world searching for the other half is wrong. They must have something else in mind. Perhaps the wand fragment was turned into something else or somehow hidden within a living being. So if Regina is able to make this locator spell, which she couldn't in this episode because she was short of eye of something, probably eye of newt. Oh, for sure. That she needed from Rumpel's. whipping up the casserole. I mean, locator spell. <laughs> so it could be very interesting to see where that locator spell takes them. It could August? Be. He's got right. We need you to turn back into wood because probably one of your limbs is the other part of this wand. So instead of having like a plate when you've broken your leg, he could uh, he could have a little plate somewhere. Maybe he just has to tell lots of lies, and then they break off his nose and they attach it to that wand. As ridiculous as that seems, it would fit this show. <laughs> <laughs> Your nose is imbued with much dark magic, and it must be. <laughs> it must be removed. Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> Back at Mister Gold's shop. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's nice that Rumpel is explaining everything to Belle so openly. And this, apparently, this is. Are the... you saying that sarcastically, or no? Oh, I'm serious. <laughs> No, oh, it's true. I thought perhaps you were referencing how they explain and explain and explain. Some things in a plot should be self-evident. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is the exposition machine for those who haven't been paying attention. It's true. So Regina. Yeah, that's and true. Now so is Emma, kind of. <laughs> but what I think we have to see is to know that Rumpel is being honest with Belle. Oh, those two are super comfy with each other again all of a sudden. Yeah. Lots of hugging, lots of our sons. Yeah. Yep. You'd I, think he never totally betrayed everybody like three times and tried to kill him and stuff. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. I knew our son wasn't evil. Those are words I think every parent probably wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> wants to, and yet. <laughs> uh, 
So we're all worried like about it. Zelina's sacrifice, but I was reminded rewatching this scene, oh, well, there's Blue, and she had all her magic taken, and it's going to be put back. So maybe Zelina doesn't have to live mm. with this choice. True. Like, same episode. Literally, one person loses her magic, and the other gets it back. Like, well, see, in this case, uh, Blue lost her magic. It was absorbed into the sword. It rebuilt the sword. Uh, whereas Zelina's magic was absorbed into the Crimson Heart, and then the Crimson Heart disappears. It becomes that mm-hmm. green orb that then envelops the city, and her magic goes with it, and so does the magic of the crystals. Uh, so, well, But here's the thing, as we'll get to, they didn't go get the sword, the thing holding Blue's magic or whatever, yeah. and put it back. They just went, no, here you go. So... There's not much keeping them from doing that for Selena whenever they feel like it. Well, they only got her heart to beat again. The blues heart. That oh, is. she didn't. Uh, she's not on the path to waking up. Right. Are you sure? Yes. Black I, Fairy I think was pretty disturbed. Well, right. But blue. If they had actually woken up blue, then we would have seen her awake. Not it's, if they didn't want to pay her to say lines this week. <laughs> I'll just pay you Fair to lie point. there. It, it, besides, it takes be time to wake tall. up. From that. She's also been doing double duty over on Magicians, so maybe she was too tired. That could have been a dummy of her. It might not have even been really her. <laughs> no, it, she was breathing. Could so. have been a sleep model decoy. Huh. Yeah. Audio animatronic blue fairy. Marvel fan- fans, that one was free. <laughs> and, and speaking of free, Belle is apparently the town's free babysitter. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. Just dump her on everyone on Belle because she misses her baby. So. Like, I'm glad she's not offended by the assumption that she'd be a good place to take the baby. <laughs> it's true. She clearly likes it. So that's good. <laughs> and was there was there any connection between what Zelina was placed in when she was a baby and Cora put her, oh. uh, put her out to pasture? Was there a bassinet or a, a, a basket similar to the one that Belle put? Baby Robin in? That's a good question. I will check. I just checked and know they are different. Uh, we saw Zelina, baby Zelina's bassinet back in the episode 318 bleeding through. That's when Cora left Zelina to be swept up by a tornado so that Cora could have her own best chance. <sighs> but the bassinet that is in Mr. Gold's shop is completely different. Okay. But that was clever to think of that anyway. Well, thank you. Even if I was wrong. Meanwhile, Henry is authoring, or at least trying to. (laughs) A lot of that going around, am I right? Wait, what? Okay. I'm okay now. I thought it was interesting that the pen, well, for one thing, that the pen glows, which is kind of cool looking. I mean, they got it at the gas station. Okay. Uh, But the pen stopped glowing after Henry wrote, Emma wins the final battle. And it made me wonder, was it just like, okay, Henry's done writing, so the pen turns off? Or was it something about that he wrote that? Was that maybe what caused the pen to turn off? It's kind of like r- crashing the pen in a way. <laughs> Fatal error on the pen. Colonel panic error. Blue screen right, of because death he was trying, trying to get it to do something that it shouldn't do. Yeah, I'm just sad oh, to see that oh. Henry is following in his grandfather's footsteps. What a Ow. ridiculous 
Everything about that was so ridiculous. Even David knows you shouldn't be trying. We know what happens when you try to change things. I mean, first of all, he's not supposed to at all. Like bad things happen. Second, the last time someone changed things majorly, despite all promises of a bigger plot, they all ended up in a fake world in a book. Is that what Henry wanted when he tried to write the sentence that Emma wins the final battle? Did he just want them all to be trapped in a book where she wins the final battle? Yeah, true. So good thing for you, kid, that it didn't work, even though it should have. You're not supposed to change things and you know it and you tried. You're dumb. But what he was really (laughs) trying to do here was trying to use the author pen to decode whatever these things were that he wrote down before. Meh. He's supposed to use the author pen to spend his life writing down what happens. That's what the author does, and he doesn't do it. I don't understand the author. I almost wish they'd quit bringing it up because I don't understand, and it doesn't work. He's more like a scribe. (laughs) He is is more like a scribe, but he doesn't even scribe. Yeah. But at least David is emphasizing that he shouldn't try to write things into existence. It's okay, Grandpa. I already tried to destroy everything. It didn't work. Also, the sentence was completely unimaginative. (laughs) Well, most of the ones that the authors have written to get them out of situations have been pretty unimaginative. I know, it makes me crazy. (laughs) Now, Aaron and I discussed this in the initial reactions, and I want your thoughts too. When David looked down at the paper, do you think he recognized something about the writings or do you think the writings were simply a reminder that there's this darkness looming over them and that's why they should postpone Emma's wedding? Reminder. Okay. Reminder. Hmm. Yeah. The way they filmed it and in his expressions make it seem like he recognizes it. But if he recognized it, they would have brought it up somewhere else in this episode because that's a storytelling it. thing. Yeah. Especially here. He recognized it from having seen it before (laughs) when Henry wrote it. Well, I thought maybe it's just something stood out to him as, wait a minute, I've seen that symbol before. I don't think so, because you're right. He would have said it two or three times before the end of the episode if that were the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although I liked him. I liked David, Kwa David, all the way throughout this episode and the last several episodes, too. I've liked him more this season than I have in many many seasons yeah you know he did well this episode which i don't know what that says because other people were being weird yeah that's true but uh no as as things went on visiting the venues and whatnot i found Mm -hmm. that i agreed with david yes i (laughs) i I was like grannies really (laughs) (laughs) wedding at the diner nothing could be finer (laughs) Mm. by the way henry did have a great line this reeks of grandma (laughs) yes (laughs) i liked that too (laughs) well it does make sense yeah to try and have something to hope for but at the same time david's perspective also makes sense that hey you know this was a horrible way to crash the wedding before Mm -hmm. let's try and have a day that is all for Emma, all for the wedding, and all celebration. Nothing dark looming over it. Right. It's like, yeah. why don't you just paint a target on Emma's wedding dress that says, Hey, Black Fairy, wouldn't this be deliciously <laughs> ironic? Yeah. <laughs> Come and, get me. 
And then who would yep. be the one who gets to yell, hey, and then throws the sword? Um, I think it'd be great if it were several of them all simultaneously. <laughs> or maybe this <laughs> time family. it could be Doc. And so he throws the sword instead of says, it's the queen. Or he would say something else, of course, differently. (laughs) (laughs) There in the diner, Granny needed to be there for that because she could have added a lot more comic relief when David is criticizing the place and calling it the names he called it. May I I ask a question about this, the logic here? It's Storybrooke. Why did they need to go visit potential venues? Did they really need to see what grannies looked like? To imagine things, yes. <laughs> Probably. Okay. I was surprised he called it a scrap heap, though. It I mean, is. No granny could have been in the back. Yeah, well, she needed to be there for that. Just if for no other reason to see the expression on her face Aww, when he yes. called it a scrap heap. I agree, because she's feisty. She could have brought out her crossbow. See? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tough cookie. And by the way, don't does anybody else think the Jolly Roger was the best idea there was? Yes. One little mention care. of sea Give everybody dramamine. See, Henry has no good imagination. He right. just says, oh, yeah, they'll all be puking. And then Hook's like, oh, yeah, you got a point. Well, he did say out on the sea, not yeah. docked. That's awesome. Destination wedding. Or do it docked. That's fine. Jolly Roger's awesome. It's, who gets married on a sailing ship? An actual pirate ship? Yeah, I'd do it nobody. totally, man. Nobody. It'd be awesome. Yep. It's a great smell, idea. They probably smell. Points to the pirate. Pirate one, scribe zero. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they'll probably have the reception at Granny's because that's the place where all receptions take place. All, I think that all food exists at Granny's. Yeah. I think it should be there. Storybrooke is missing a great park. Mm-mm. So if they go on to like season eight or nine, it could all be all about the Parks and Recreation Department of Storybrooke. <laughs> or it do, could be a spinoff. They do have that park uh, where there's the lake and that's where oh, they Blue do Fairy have that. lost her magic. Yeah. So they could get married at the convent. They could get married Ooh. in that park. Yeah. The sorcerer's house. Yeah. It's a nice mission style yes. furniture. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen there, though. It's true. It's a little unwieldy. That's true. Emma doesn't have very good memories there. And here at the diner as well, the the interesting memories here in our forums at oncepodcast.com slash forums, uh, some of the members there have been chronicling some of the bad things that happened there before, like Hook terrorizing the fairies by sucking them into the sorcerer's hat, Merlin's death, Neil and Robin's wakes, um, when Emma had Violet break Henry's heart and where Belle had her pregnancy sped up. Yeah, a lot of bad things happened Hook in this Hook suffered location. his fatal cut there. Yeah. <laughs> or suffered from his fatal cut. Oh, true, true. Yeah. Who else died there? Let's see. Emma was wished out of being the savior there. Yeah. They've, yeah, they've had multiple hostage situations there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, hot chocolate with cinnamon. So, yeah. This is the best place to get it in town. (laughs) So, while they're picking out wedding locations, Regina and Zelina start hunting for diamonds of a different type. See what Mm -hmm. I did there? They are a girl's best friend. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) 
<laughs> Down in the caves, little technical point here. Someone pointed this out uh, from one of our previous episodes. These crystals or diamonds produce fairy dust, not pixie dust. Before I got those mixed up, and I basically refer to them as How the same silly. thing. They are different things. Pixie dust helps connect people and connect them with their true love. This is fairy dust, well, which is in the minds. It's an understandable mistake since the fairy had pixie dust before. Yeah. What? They're different? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Why are these crystals different? These are... Well, these are simply... This is consistent with the show, that these mines grow these diamonds, which the dwarves previously were trying to harvest for fairy dust to bring magic around and do certain things. You know, remember the failsafe was down there as well. So is this them trying to make it easier but still maintain continuity? They're like, fairy dust is too hard to mine, so we're going to do this pixie thing. Well, And fairy crystals... So it was legitimately just diamonds before. Yes. But magic diamonds, not crystals. Yes. I mean, a diamond is a crystal. It's some From the same mines. Yes. But they're just developing. <laughs> kind of like flowers. Yes. Fact. Uh-huh. Wouldn't it have been interesting with this episode upcoming for instead of flowers growing in the presence of great evil for them to have gone down there for some other reason and discovered the crystals and Mm -hmm. they develop in sources of great power and then they could have used the crystals for literally everything that they used the flowers for and it would have been awesome because they would have been underground which would be why they weren't always visible in storybook and then there would have been foreshadowing for this and maybe even through their use of them that could be how the black fairy figured out that they were there wouldn't that have been cool Hashtag higher the nerd. <laughs> yes. Plus they would have been sparkly. <laughs> the diamonds thing with this episode or crystals, whatever you want to call them, is a little bit odd because it was like this big setup and then it was canceled out. The Black Fairy needed Zelina's dark magic because it's unstable and her dark magic then like was like activated charcoal on all of these diamonds (laughs) that then turned them to dark black diamonds or black crystals, but whatever, uh, black fairy dust in diamond form. Do you get the impression that the black fairy doesn't actually have much magic here in Storybrooke? Yes. So something's up. I almost, she did. She put her hand out and made some rocks fall. Now, not as many as when Regina threw her sister at the wall, (laughs) But she still made some rocks fall from the ceiling. And before she did that, I had started to write down, like, wait a minute. Every time she needs something big done, she has Gideon do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she plays it off like a control thing, but... And she has also poofed away uh, before, and she poofed away Regina and Zelina as well. So she has a little bit of magic, at least. Mm -hmm. But yeah... Gideon does most of her things for her. So was the whole point of her wanting all of these dark crystals in order for her to get her magic back or to feed her magic? She did. So she went over and she did a thing and there was like a purple, I don't know, shock wave. But and there was some rumbling, but it didn't seem to do anything. Yeah. And I don't know if it was building or I don't know. Reminds me a little bit of Harry Potter, the... 
uh, the episode where it was the competition. I forget which movie that was, not episode, but movie of them that was, but where Voldemort is being brought back to life and he has, he's very weak and all of that. And they make this whole soup and then they throw him in the soup and pull him out. And it's like, ta-da! And there's Voldemort in person. God and that is kind yes. Thank you. A uh, goblet of fire. Uh, that seems like maybe part of what's going on here, because even though she's very commanding and menacing and clearly mm-hmm. positioning herself as powerful, she's not demonstrating that power, except the other thing that actually does demonstrate her power significantly, or at least immunity to opposing power was when Zelina used all of her magic against the black True. fairy. And it just makes her laugh. Right. That would take a lot of magic to resist that. Unless she's just somehow naturally immune to that kind of magic. Because she could be the originator of dark magic. So maybe dark magic has no effect on her. There's precedent for that in various role-playing games. (laughs) Could could it make her stronger? Getting whacked with somebody else's dark magic? Yeah, could. That's kind of cool. Hmm. As an aside, I appreciated slash thought it was funny that Zelina finally got to say everything everyone was thinking. So maybe you're right. Maybe they brought in the Zelina expert and she finally got to have Zelina say what she had been thinking the entire rest of the season about how, hey, I made a huge sacrifice for you and you just blamed me. <laughs> yes, gonna blame I was glad me she for said something? that too. <laughs> like, what are you, are you just here to blame me for something? Because apparently that's what you do. It was it was quite vindicating but a little late (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh and by the way um i i'm sure the answer is because plot but why does a um really easily triggered cave-in of the mind trap regina and zelina who magicked themselves down there why does it trap them in there since when does magic require a line of sight they didn't magic themselves down there they walked oh you're right yep but that, that was the point of showing yeah. the scene where Zelina walked into the door and went down. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Sunday night during the live show and in our chat room, a couple people in the chat room did say, why don't they just magic themselves out? Because yeah. we're supposed to say, oh, crystals, magic interference, transporters. Yes, can't exactly. Can't get a lock. Right. Uh-huh. More power, Scotty. Dilithium. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the dilithium and, crystals and were causing transporter <laughs> interference. Malfunctions. This is all actually where we've been watching Star Trek for six years and the entire crew <laughs> has gone to a planet and they inhaled some pollen and they've been having this delusion the entire time. It's all in the imagination station. I mean, the holodeck. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Happy 30th anniversary, by the way, uh, Adventures in Odyssey. I referenced, here's a little tidbit. If you haven't heard my 301st episode of the Audacity to Podcast, it's a three and a half hour long episode where I tell my entire story of podcasting. And you totally have to listen to it. It's great. Well, thank you. Adventures in Odyssey is actually part of that. And I didn't realize it when I was recording that that Adventures in Odyssey is actually celebrating their 30th anniversary. Really? So wow. That's that's really cool. Um, in that episode, I, I said something like, I don't know if it's still going. I think it's still going. But I yeah, someone said, yeah, it's still going. In fact, it's 30 years old this year. Wow. So, wow tis the season. You hit 10, I hit 11, they hit 30? Yeah. We're all doing well. 
got to keep going. Now back to the mines. <laughs> Black Fairy, while she had all of the crystals changed over to the dark side, she flipped a little crystal switch there and this fortress of solitude then emitted this big purple blast why do we even have that level is that the start of the final battle no when the final battle begins you'll know everyone will because you don't want to be around for that (laughs) later on though henry does ask in such a solemn tone did the final battle start (laughs) oh so i missed one i think (laughs) you might have yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh so then what was this purple blast oh you know the, the magic stuff maybe it was using fail safe technology or I don't know maybe it was there to stop actresses from having to say the word sis when talking to their sister on screen <laughs> I don't know I'm looking at the chat room I am waiting to see if any other human being alive right now has ever called their sister sis and meant it non-ironically. A sister calling their sister sis. Yes, I've never, so. I, I have a sister. I love my sister. I get along with my sister great. I would never call her sis. She would, she would smack me and she's eight inches shorter than I am. <laughs> I feel it's like... just a weird thing in, in, well, maybe it's just where I grew up. But. I think it fits certain <sighs> ways of speaking, but maybe not as much Regina and Zelina. Maybe it's regional now that I'm thinking about it. But maybe. it sure wasn't Southern California or Arizona. Oh, that's funny because... Or New York. I was going to say, I think my mom and my aunt sometimes call each other that. It's slightly tongue-in-cheek. Okay. They're all if from it's Southern tongue in California. Cheek, no way. Did we talk about that before? Maybe not. And I grew up in Southern mm-hmm. California, too. Did you really? Yeah. You didn't mention that on your three-hour podcast. No, I didn't have time. Uh, I only have a brother, <laughs> but I've never called him sis. That's a very good point. <laughs> well, actually, that might not be true. <laughs> okay. In the chat room, in the chat room we've, got, we've got us sometimes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to step back away. rivalry? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to step back from my loathing of the word cis now because we have we have independent confirmation that it can, in fact, be said. Well, hey, but thank you for loathing something that I didn't already. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> I, I do a lot of the loathing around here. I carry a lot of the workload. <laughs> I'm happy to step up for you. Nice. <laughs> Is Regina the new hook? Ooh. What do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean? I should probably qualify that. Yeah. <laughs> she is the new ragdoll. How <laughs> many? She got knocked down. Didn't Gideon do it both times? Yes. Little jerk. Yeah, that's he just true. Threw her. I mean, I guess she kind of had it coming after what she did to Zelina, but but twice. Mm-mm. That was rude. Mm. He threw her across the room twice and then ran over and was like, "And stay down." And then. <laughs> that's true, uh, yeah. I do have to wonder, though, what did we miss when we weren't in the room with those two? Because after the purple blast, Regina and Gideon just come running into the room. But it didn't particularly look like Gideon was chasing her. Like, did you get away or did you both get distracted from whatever that was, that 
minor hostage situation and run in to see what was going on. Who ran into the room first? I can't remember. Regina was in front. Oh, Regina was, <laughs> was in front. Like I can, yeah. I can see if Gideon decided it was more important that he go to Mother. Black Fairy. I was yeah. like, what do I call her in his case? Uh, but but Regina being in front made me laugh mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, as long as you're talking about people running into rooms, I'm going to spoil Once Upon a Time <gasps> for Dude. you now and say something that will totally stand out to you now from forevermore and probably in other movies. Uh-oh. Are you ready for it? Take note of how Braced. often they cut the scene in a way or just plan it, script it this way, that people are outside of the room or away from the conversation and they walk up having heard the conversation perfectly. And they add to the conversation. It happens in almost every episode of Once Upon a Time. Someone walks in and adds to the conversation or confirms the conversation. It happened twice in this episode. Uh, th- at least twice. And uh, it happens throughout the series. I see it every time. Ever since I noticed it, I see it now every time it happens. <laughs> and what I'm often thinking is that never happens in real life. When someone is right. talking, facing away from you. And someone yeah. is outside of the room, they can't walk in and know exactly what that person said, unless the acoustics are amazing everywhere you go. <laughs> but at the same time, we're always making fun of people who want to speak privately, just kind of taking five steps yeah, and then speaking privately. And I love it when a show go has someone in the background go, I can still hear you. <laughs> yes. yes. So sorry for ruining Once Upon a Time for you with that. You ruined everything. Zelina and Regina get poofed outside of the mines. and uh, Proving I, that it's possible, by the way. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, I like that they referred to Black Fairy as sitting on top of a magic nuke. <laughs> yes. yes. That was a good word picture. Yeah. Even if Regina was being a bad sister again and kind of a bad person. I mean, I know siblings do have those problems, but she's being such an evil queen. Well, and she got burned that way with all the other people in town where she was legitimately trying and she was doing so much better and every time she turned around they're like yeah but you know even so we can't trust you yeah that went on for seasons so she should know how it feels why don't you just leave yes go back to oz you don't even need that wand that we made a big deal of in another season when we needed to make a big deal out of a wand here's this stupid crystal fragment just go back to oz this can do it now it's fine do it yeah i was not happy what do you think about David and Snow's little conversation then outside of the town I hall? Did the town hall like the way it was executed? Hmm? Which part of it didn't you like? Which part of the execution? They usually speak to each other with a lot more respect, maybe. And David mm-hmm. was fine, but for some reason, Snow was like literally. She was just over the top. She was like literally shrill and. And saying, well, that ship has sailed. Get used to it. Like, she's like, like, deal with it. Okay, first of all, Snow, that wasn't his, you didn't even hear his problem before you started launching off on this thing. That wasn't even his objection. And second, that's really not even your, it's not your character. It's not the characterization of your marriage. I don't get this conversation. Well, I think it was just so too much. Like with everything else going on, it was just too much added drama. It didn't make any sense to me. From the perspective of a, of a husband here, which yes. I am, <laughs> I can understand that David has kind of held on to this 
not a secret, but a, a disappointment that doesn't really affect his life today, but it's being brought up again because he's realizing, wow, that, that moment that was the best moment in my life was ruined by the worst moment in my life on the same day. And all of these years, whenever I look back and remember the best moment, I also remember that worst moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he's carried that kind of in the back of his mind all this time. And now realizing his daughter is about to be in that exact same place. He doesn't want that same kind of thing for his daughter. Yeah. I understand that. I think it's reasonable. I liked all that. Yeah. I thought that was good. I thought his part, he actually, he was a level-headed voice of, re- at least partially of reason. And, you and know, I thought, all of that aside, he had a point about the venues. <laughs> yeah, he did. And I thought his, he was trying to be diplomatic and doing the, oh, I mean, grannies, I don't know, maybe. I mean, he was trying to be gentle about it. The part that I thought was a really interesting piece of writing and I thought a, a really nice piece of acting on both of their parts was when, um, I think she, did she take him outside? Were they outside when she said, what is this really about? Yeah. That moment of her realizing that they were not having the same conversation, that she may be talking about a wedding venue, but something else was going on for him, uh, an immediate wedding venue for her, and giving him the opportunity to work through where his head was at with her that was one of the few times that I've actually seen something that looked like how real married people fight mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not, it's not angry and it's not angry at the person because you love the person. But if you're frustrated with the situation, it's very easy to internalize that as, Oh my God, he's mad at me or, Oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. And she's angry at me when in fact it has nothing to do with you. It's about something else entirely, but giving, giving your partner that opportunity of the, the what is it really about? I mean, sometimes they won't know, mm-hmm. which is which is also valid to be to be given the opportunity to say, I have no idea, but I want to figure it out. Then you can have a conversation. And husbands, and, big, 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 big marriage lesson to learn here <laughs> from this, because uh, this I even learned this in marriage counseling, and I recommend marriage counseling for anyone who's mm-hmm. married. Even if your marriage is great, marriage counseling can make it even better. Marriage counseling is not that. for bad marriages. It's for no. marriages. But one of the things I learned that I continue to remind myself of, like when it's those moments that, like Heather, you're talking about where um, Jenny might be emoting negatively about something, and I start feeling like, why is she angry at me? She's uh-huh. uh, <laughs> the Lego uh-huh. movie comes to mind. Blah blah blah. Person name, place name. I'm so pretty, but I'm mad at you. <laughs> that, I mean, a little bit of that goes through my mind. Yes, when um, Jenny sure. expre- most on something. But the thing for me to remember is. Like Heather's saying, Jenny's not mad at me. And the same thing uh, happens in many marriages. The anger isn't actually directed toward a person. So the counseling thing I learned was this little saying, the problem is not the problem. The heart is the problem. And that's the thing here where David's not actually saying, oh, the location of the wedding is Mm -hmm. a major problem. It's something deeper is the problem. So whenever you're in that kind of relationship conflict and you realize, oh, we're fighting about a problem here, the problem that you're fighting about is probably not the actual problem. It's probably Mm -hmm. something below that, like Mm -hmm. that's significant or that's connected in some way to something else. Yeah. 
And it's sometimes it's hard to be the person that catches on and says, wait, what is this really about? Yeah. And, and it's really, really worth saying out loud if you do catch it. There's a great video out there. I don't even know what you'd look for on YouTube. Uh, yeah. But it's about the funny situations of guy, uh, husband and wife in an argument where uh, this, I remember this. this husband and wife are having this argument because there's a nail in her head. Oh, right. yes. And um, the husband is just so focused on this is the problem. You've got a nail in your head <laughs> and the lady's talking about her feelings and she wants her husband you, to understand. You him. never listen. You never listen to my feelings. You have a nail in your head. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hilarious. If we can find <laughs> it, we'll put it in the show notes. Onespodcast.com slash 295. Because even if you're not married, this is just a great illustration hysterical. of uh, yeah the problems in relationships yes. that can sometimes surface. The men are from Mars, women are from Venus. We yeah. do not speak the same language sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. Okay, fine, guys. So you like the scene better than I did. That's great. No. <laughs> no. no, but I agree. I agree that up until that point, up until the point when she said, what is this really about? I was getting irked with her. Mm-hmm. And because she was yeah. so gung-ho and she wasn't reading the people she was around. And Snow's usually better than that. And... All of that stuff. And and that's I think that's why when, when she turned around and said, okay, what is this really about? It resonated so much with me because it was – I mean, it seems so strange to say that in a, a show that is a fantasy show about all of these stories that we learned in our childhood, that there is this moment of reality that I have never seen in any other television show ever about what a, a marriage looks like on the inside. It seems funny to say that it happens here, but – Maybe that's why it happens here is because they're given the the freedom to express themselves in ways that we don't let more realistic, quote unquote, realistic people mm-hmm. look on TV. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you found it. I did. So it will be in oh, the I'm show so notes excited. at oncepodcast.com slash 295. Yay. It's called It's Not About the Nail, if you just want to search that on your own. <laughs> but we've got it in the show notes for you, too, so you don't have to search for it. Oncepodcast.com slash 295. Okay, so so then after this, Selena and the baby at the farmhouse and the crystal and it sounds the, like the we're sunset playing clue. <laughs> and the and the snow blowing over the, the field pipe. and the twister coming and this huge wide shot of Zelina with her arm outstretched with the crystal. I was like, what show am I watching? This is amazing. It was <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it was so Ouch. Well, there was literally no dialogue, cheesy or otherwise. Yes. It was just all art. Mm. And it fit yeah. it, it with beautiful. the show. And it was just like, it was simple. And they actually took time. They spent some time, even though it was just a very simple concept. And it, it turned out she was doing something other than what she, we thought she was doing. But it, it just, if they, ah. Uh, it just made me mm-hmm. long for a version of Once Upon a Time that had been simpler and just developed and focused on the artistry and an artistic display of the few concepts that were in the show. Mm. It was, I just, ah, I loved it. And the score behind it was Perfect. amazing. Oh, yes. And I mean, aside from the fact that she was doing it with a crystal that shouldn't have been able to do it. There was still a little continuity issue even in this one thing, but it was, I was just like, wow, that really was awesome. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. I, I totally agree. Yeah. But she didn't leave. 
And she goes to revisit our crew at the sheriff's office. And Hen- this is where Henry raises that question. Has the final battle started? Okay, so the count was at least five then. Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I did not write it down for this scene. <laughs> I think Hook nailed it when he, <laughs> with his line, that it seemed like they're always fighting Zelina. <laughs> yes. Why is, uh, why is it when she's not the witch we're fighting, she's still the witch we're fighting? Yeah. I loved that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I felt... I felt tired, too, because I not, like Selena. I guess, I mean, that is a good way to summarize it. Regina's response was strange, and, and she even kind of up-talked, just like that. And I don't know. <laughs> there was It was, stop being an evil queen to Selena. Maybe that's over now. Maybe they can put that behind them with her sacrifice. Hmm. And what would we do without the ace up the sleeve of magic tethering? Yeah. Kind of makes sense, though. Uh, it would, because what happened with the Crimson Heart is that sucked out all of her magic and basically undid the magical things that she had done or things that were affected by her magic. But I do kind of have to wonder... How many of those things? Yeah, what else in town was affected by her magic mm. that might have been undone accidentally by this act i can't think of anything i can think of something and it was because of something you did that was unintentional when we started our rewatch you didn't have the speakers on and so you paused it and while i was sitting there waiting for our rewatch to start i was looking at the screen and realized it was a flashback of zelina healing regina oh yeah that's definitely one of those bad things one would think that healing is healing and not somehow continually tied together by magic, whatever. But, you know, if they wanted to go to that direction, I guess they could. It Walsh, should have been instant. Walsh might also be a human again, <laughs> no longer a flying monkey. <laughs> <laughs> and anything else that Zelina did might have also been undone. Uh, see, I hope they don't go that route because or, that's just so weird. Or maybe it's more like a set kind of thing. Like the super glued hasn't quite dried yet on the dark magic turning the crystals dark. And so it could easily be Still unset. Tethered, by, but yeah. hadn't taken on its own life. <laughs> right. Yes. Could be. I like my crackpot theory, but I also don't like it for a lot of reasons. <laughs> oh, so many reasons. Particularly, the question would be, well, why if you take someone's magic away, does it undo it? But when they die, that doesn't do it. Good point. You can't tell me they destroyed Zelina's magic because apparently you can't do that. Well... At least not without a whole half-season story arc and a trip to some other realm to break the rules. Yeah, so that's the other thing. What? Where did her magic go? Because the Crimson Heart, you can watch it. You can see that she's holding the Crimson Heart. It sucks all the magic out. And then it zaps into this green sphere that then envelops the whole town and the crimson heart is gone and it you see it actually disappear so it's not simply a prop glitch that they forgot to keep it in her hands it's gone so where is her magic is this thing just like a black hole that it sucks in all of the magic and then what i predict that they will somehow use that amulet that she used to wear to pull the magic back together. Oh, and then she can at least wear it and have her magic like she used to. That's my prediction. Mm. <laughs> Do remember, though, this is not the only thing. This magical MacGuffin in the shape of a crimson heart <laughs> didn't have to exist. 
because, as Matthew Paul pointed out, they could have used the sorcerer's hat to suck out her magic. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, the sorcerer's hat did have the side effect of also sucking people into it and not only their magic, but the Details. sorcerer's apprentice was able to use the magic of the sorcerer's hat to suck out all of the dark magic from Rumple, the darkness from Rumple, and then tether it to the darkness. The hat. Yeah. Um, so couldn't they have used the hat instead? What happened to the hat? Nothing. Sorcerer, take it. If I remember correctly, at the the end of (laughs) season four, uh, the darkness then just escaped from the little hat capsule. And then the darkness went around town and, you know, turned Emma into the dark one and all of that. And we didn't see the sorcerer's hat after that. Making some really disgusting effects on the apprentice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they didn't need the Crimson Heart. They could have done it somewhere, some other way. So they were just doing it because they had the Tin Man and they needed a heart? Well, see, it's it's kind of circular. Or is it, yeah, it's which one came for the chicken and the egg? In order to to use the heart... They had to tell a backstory that included the heart. That's the way they work with this show. If they're going to use something in the present, they have to show some kind of parallel where it was also used in the past or there was some yeah. experience with it in the past. I right? think they wanted to show, just remind everyone of Zelina's attachment to her power and show a time when she didn't want to give it up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was the ultimate sacrifice besides death. That was the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice to give yeah, one's it's life. It's the almost ultimate sacrifice. Yeah. We learned a long time ago not to listen to ABC marketers. It is the penultimate <laughs> sacrifice. There you go. There I you remember go. bringing up Lost again. I remember Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse sitting around on the podcast going, yeah, what did that promo mean? Like, we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Yeah. I loved the last podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fun. Jessica Frey suggested something. That's an interesting thought. I, I don't think they'll go this direction with the show, but Jessica said, I had an idea about the elder wand, as we're calling it. As you're calling it. What if the other part is the fairy crystals? And before Zelina got rid of her magic, the black fairy ruined the crystals so they couldn't be used as the elder wand. I thought the shape of the crystals looked similar to the shape of the wand from Tiger Lily. Well, I mean, that's a little bit like wondering if the other half of a walking staff is that forest over there. Yeah. Or the other half of that Excalibur is the Dark One Dagger. Yeah, but at least that was finite. That wasn't just something that's reproducing itself. Yeah, And true. So I'm just feeling like there may be are too many crystals to be the other half of a wand. Maybe the other half... But maybe they can be fashioned into one. The other half is something intangible. The other half is love or a baby's laugh. Oh. And then an angel gets their wings. So this scene, I love the music that starts in the background. I mean, the, the building music that then continues through the end of the episode. Again, Beautiful job with the music for this episode, Mark Isham. Uh, It it just really feels like this episode is setting up for things that are to come. And when Rumpel then is in Gold's shop, that's when it really starts to to nicely build up to 
the final scene, which we'll get to in a moment. But one of the things that they were able to do is use that crystal, which I thought the crystal was basically inert. Like, were they... they No, it went back to being its light magic version. Okay. So they're still there. Like, I don't know if... She'll just find another way. Yeah. I mean, it stopped her for today, which I guess is good, but... But she didn't really seem all that defeated by the fact that all the crystals were turned back. Yes, it was a disappointment, but not like, oh, no, I'm going to lose the final battle now. Well, see, that was my other question was, what was her play if Zelina hadn't been in town? Yeah. Well, she probably knew Zelina was in town, and this was all part of the puzzle. Maybe. Yeah. I don't understand how they did what they did with the crystal if Gold couldn't figure out... I mean, he's going to other books than what he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just come in. They're just like, oh, let us try. We just we got this magical thing. We're just going to crush it up and dump it on her. Seemed to work. Don't know what your problem was, gold. One of these potions are going to call for Chuck Norris's tears. Just watch for it. <laughs> <laughs> but you won't have to put them in. Just hold them on a napkin in a bag. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so this all builds up to this last scene where the Black Fairy and Gideon are at the well, which is a very interesting place for them to be True. because there's a lot of significance with that well. Remember, back in season one, the finale of season one, that's where Rumple dropped the true love potion in to bring magic to Storybrooke, to bring magic to a land without magic. A lot of other things have happened there at the well, that that's been a portal that that well it has the special waters, the magical waters running in the well. So seeing them there at the well. Oh, and also that's where Peter Pan uh, was there and enacted his version of the curse to try and turn Storybrooke into the new Neverland. So a lot of things have happened here at the well. And to see them there kind of concerns me with what are they going to do to the town if they're there at the well? Or is this simply a oh, nice place to meet? Because after all, that's where Rumple and Belle were married as well at the well. Oh, that's right. But she has this crystal ball and she saw Rumple talking. So I think it's safe to assume that Black Fairy is always watching. Yeah. Life in Storybrooke is basically impossible. When we said let them live, we didn't mean let them be ridiculous and have imminent grave danger in town, but they still try to live. We meant let them live you don't even have to show us just pass the time let them truly live she can be anywhere she can see anything and hear anything how are you supposed to live how are you even supposed to fight that's impossible she can win and yet she's more (laughs) afraid of the secret blue fairy has than afraid of the wand itself well yep and she's a good actress Mm-hmm. The misty eyes, though, tell me everything about where the story will end up. Oh, where do you think that is? Where do they all end up? She was a great villain for several weeks. Oh, I was going to guess grannies. Nope. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but she was a great w- villain for several weeks. But now, maybe all at once, maybe one by one, the teeth are going to get pulled and sob story will begin and we'll start to feel maybe a little sorry for her. She'll still try to do some bad stuff. She'll still try to start the final battle, even though she doesn't know what it is, and then, like, a couple people will get blasted through the clock tower, and then they'll defeat her, and she'll be really sorry. 
Maybe she'll even sacrifice herself to stop the final battle, which is really just like a failsafe in the mines. I really hope they don't do that. <laughs> For once, <laughs> unintended. I uh, want this final showdown to be between good and evil and evil to be completely defeated, not broken and forgiven. But like, <laughs> as much as I like forgiveness, right? Uh, I, I want to see defeat on the side of evil. And, you know, they're not going to take the show in the direction where the dark side wins. Of course they won't. I'm not saying she should be two-dimensional, but if it's the same story that we've seen. Now, Hades didn't end up that way, but he almost did. Yeah. Like, it felt like True. he was going to, and then they did actually defeat him. Pan as well. Yeah. Well, Pan never looked like he might have a light side right. to him. So, yeah, it's not every time. But So we saw that with Ingrid. Of course, we've seen it in a larger way, in ways that we wanted to see it with Regina. But then also kind of, again, with Rhonda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I don't know. It's There may be others that I'm forgetting. It's just... It's not every time, but I hope it's I'm enough. wrong, I guess I'll say. I'd like to see if she's that bad. It should not be so simple or so easy. They set her up to be really, really, really bad. It would be nice to see that. Right. And the secret is something that Rumpel must not know. And it seems like this secret can defeat her instead of or more than the wand can. Now, this is the point where most of the theorization is. So we have a bunch of feedback on this. Gareth sent in this feedback saying, I suspect that Rumpel himself is somehow her weakness. She abandoned him. When Rumpel asked her why in 609, she said he should understand that sometimes you have to choose power over love. Perhaps giving up her baby has an effect similar to giving up the thing you love most. Perhaps there is some prophecy we have not yet heard about that warned her that the child would be her undoing. (laughs) The question is, what is the secret and why would she not want Rumpel to find out? If he is her weakness, for some reason, it would make sense that she does not want him to know. Perhaps due to blood magic or some such thing, only Rumpel or Gideon or Henry will be able to defeat her. She might not want him to know that she ever cared about him, if she did, because that would be a liability. Given her involvement in the Dark Curse, it is possible that she was behind the scene pulling strings and ruining Rumpel's life to lead him down the path to creating the Dark Curse. She didn't know he was her son at the time, but may now realize the extent of what she did to him to turn him evil and not want him to know about her involvement. She might not want him to know about their past because she still wants him to join her and for them to be a family in some way. And I would add to that, to rule the galaxy together. (laughs) Well, it's possible. Makes her like almost every other villain mother on the show and villain father. On the topic of love versus power, Bibliophile said maybe it's just that Blue gave Black a choice between love, baby Rumpel, and power, fairy wings. And she chose the power. Choose the power, choose the power. (laughs) So I get there has to be a story that makes her go from being the protector of the children to being what she is. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know. I think it's even the hint that she cares what Rumpel thinks that is just starting to declaw her already. And Bibliophile says, then the bitterness turns her evil and maybe Fairy Tiger Lily tells her about a magic and maybe Fairy Tiger Lily tells her about a magic whatever that can fix things and Black Fairy ends up evil as a result. Gareth also explores this thought of why did the Black Fairy become evil, saying both Blue and Rumple agree that the Black Fairy was not always evil. Given the history of the show, it is quite possible that Blue and Black are sisters, and Black's jealousy of Blue's power made her turn evil, like the Zelina story. Given her obsession with loyalty, it is quite possible that she felt deeply betrayed by someone in the past. Again, I would guess Blue, because no one else in the show really goes back far enough. I guess Tiger Lily knew her before she went evil, so perhaps it was Tiger Lily who betrayed her. Blue said Black stopped protecting the children and started stealing them. This might be a clue to why she went evil, but not sure how. She could have lost another child and been trying to find it, but I hope not as this would add a sibling for Rumpel. Meredith of Everett, Washington said, I do have a theory about this whole situation. Do you remember the first season, episode 114, Dreamy? That is one of my least favorite episodes, she says. But when the Blue Fairy flew in to talk grumpy slash dreamy out of running away with Nova, I paid close attention. The Blue Fairy said that if Nova were to put him before her duties as a fairy, that she'd lose her wings and she'd never become a fairy godmother. It isn't a coincidence that all of the fairies are nuns in Storybrooke. They have to put the good of the world and serve that above any relationship as either a fairy or a nun. The Blue Fairy talked about the consequences of leaving as though she had seen it before. If the Black Fairy was a fairy before she met Malcolm and ran off with him, Malcolm, remember, becoming Peter Pan later, mm. Malcolm being Rumpel's father, she lost her wings and was exiled. Maybe she was the first one to actually leave the fairies in favor of a man. And as we saw in 308, Think Lovely Thoughts, there are consequences to being the first to break the rules. So what if the consequences of getting married or, quote, worse, unquote, getting pregnant while still being a fairy are banishment to the dark realm? Maybe it even meant that Rumpel was marked to become the dark one from the time of his birth. And why in the world would the Black Fairy have given up her life as a fairy in favor of Malcolm? Was he really that different than what we saw in 308 Think Lovely Thoughts? Yeah, what did she see in him? Wow. Because (laughs) (laughs) he was super selfish, childish. Mm -hmm. Chelsea Dawn also suggested this thought that uh, maybe the Black Fairy was banished for having a baby. And also brought up the point about Dreamy and Nova at one point. Uh, Gotheria said something interesting. In the context of that scene, I think the secret must be that Blue, not Black, is Rumpel's mother. Wouldn't that be ironic? Yeah. And the Watcher said, whatever the secret is, it has to be the reason that Black Fairy created the Dark Curse related to why she gave Rumple up and something really bad. Maybe she created it as a way to escape the Enchanted Forest and Blue to a place where they could never be found and perhaps she intended to cast it and have Rumple or a savior break it or something, but she got banished before she could. So Blue, knowing that the curse would eventually be cast tried to boot Rumple and Balefire out of the Enchanted Forest and booted Black 
to the dark realm. And, you know, I honestly just don't know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. In response to that, Jacqueline said, maybe she simply created the dark curse as a way to break her banishment for good and let her live with her son. Maybe she can't sacrifice the heart of the thing she loves most because that's rumples and that would defeat the whole point. And Rye for Christ said that could be it. But if she created the dark curse and its mechanics, why would she make the price sacrificing the heart of the thing you love most if she knew she couldn't do that? That would be really dumb. And she seems (laughs) really smart unless that's just the dark curse's price because reasons. And after all, <laughs> all magic comes with a price. Uh, yeah. Thank you for all the great feedback, everyone. Those are great. Yeah. There comes a point where, I don't know, There's I'm finding, especially with Once Upon a Time, that there's a fine line between sort of a, a thematic thread that runs through certain characters and one story referencing another or paralleling another and you go, oh, wow, that's really cool because they have these similarities. There's a fine line between that and being like, wow, how can it be like the same thing happening to all these characters over and over and over? Mm-hmm. So it'll be very interesting to see where this ends up, one side of the line or the other, or something entirely different. And we will see... Very soon, because the countdown is starting, or it's been going for a while. To now. what, Daniel? For the final battle. <laughs> and remember, one wouldn't want to be alone for what's coming. <laughs> so please join us for an upcoming season finale party, or maybe series finale party. The final party. Yes. Go to onespodcast.com slash party to register for our finale party in the Cincinnati area, and we would love for you to join us for that. And send us your feedback on the upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time. All of our contact information is on the website and in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 295. And while you're there, please click those tweet buttons, Facebook buttons, all of those buttons there to share this episode out. If you enjoyed it, you can post it in Once Upon a Time communities and such, and that'd be a great way to support the podcast too. And it doesn't cost you anything. You're simply sharing something that you found, and we'd really appreciate you're helping the podcast grow. In the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P H L E G O N. And I'm Heather Ordover on Twitter as at Mama O. This podcast would not be possible without our great team. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes. You can hire him, by the way, over at audioeditingsolutions.com. Is he the nerd? Well, yeah, he's the audio editing nerd. So hashtag hire the audio editing nerd over at audioeditingsolutions.com. And special thanks to Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Thanks to Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums. Keb for masterminding our timeline. And thanks to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. Until next time, who's ready to put their hearts into some wedding planning, huh? And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. 
Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be an awesome hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hey, Oncers, I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 619, The Black Fairy. In flashback, after Rumpel's mother, Fiona, learns from his fairy godmother that his destiny is prophesized, she does everything in her power to keep it from happening. Ultimately, Fiona will have to make a decision that will change the course of both their lives forever. Meanwhile, in Storybrooke, Rumpel faces a similar dilemma. This episode is written by Jerome Schwartz and Dana Horgan and is directed by Ulrich Riley. Yeah, so we learn nothing. The Black Fairy's name. Well, we do learn the Black Fairy's name. <laughs> Fiona, which apparently means light, white, or bright. So it's kind of, you know, one of those ironic things that the Black Fairy's name means white. Isn't there already a fairy named Fiona? I could have sworn that there's a Disney character. There is in Shrek. Is it? That's who I'm thinking of. Okay. Princess Fiona. Yes. So we do have some guest stars, including a really surprising one. Okay. We have Keegan Connor Tracy as Mother Superior slash Blue Fairy. Beverly Elliott is also back as Granny. Of course, we have Giles Matthey as Gideon and Jamie Murray as the Black Fairy. Sarah Tomko is here as Tyra Lily. We haven't seen her in an episode. And Yasmin Abidi is the midwife and Christina Lau as the peasant mother. And also joining us for the first time since season three, we have Stephen Lord as Malcolm, who's Rumpel's yeah. father. Yeah, it'll be nice to see him again. You know, we've we've seen Robbie Kay since. Of course, we saw him uh, last season in the underworld when he came back and reprised the role as Pan. But this is the other version of Rumpel's father. This is Malcolm before he transformed into Pan. And we all kind of wondered if he was actually going to come back because obviously with the Black Fairy being Rumpelstiltskin's mother, we were like, but where does this leave Malcolm? <laughs> so it'll be fun yeah. to see him back. Yay. So we got a promo. We did. And we it's kind of like a promo and a half. Yeah. It was really strange. Yeah. So Emma wants to make sure that gold will be on her side when it, I'm guessing when the battle comes. Yeah, because, you know, that is his mom and families on this show are weird. And his sons involve. And he says he won't shed a single tear. But he doesn't say for what side. Like, he doesn't say, like, if my mom should die, I won't shed a single tear. Or if you should die, I won't shed a single tear. Like, you still don't know what side he's on. I kind of suspect he's talking about the Black Fairy. Right. But I'm just saying, like, because Gideon's with his with his mom right now. So yeah. that's why I'm like, but you're still not 100% sure. Mm. And everyone is getting ready for the final battle, of course. I can't tell who Regina was talking to, but she was reminding them that in battle, not everyone makes it through. Dun, dun, dun. Right. <laughs> Hook pulls a sword out on Gideon. Uh, Regina and the Black Fairy meet in the street, and Black Fairy hey! seems to toss Regina with magic. We see a baby's bassinet sitting by some water in the snow because that's where bassinets belong. <laughs> and I'm going to guess that that's gold. I, I think so, too. I think it's baby Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. And, of course, there's a secret. There always is in this show. And then we get to see baby gold. Yeah, we see baby Rumpel. And the bassinet is covered by, like, a yellowish blanket, which Rumpel also seems to be holding in the final little snippet of the promo. And it... It almost looks, at least in color and texture, kind of like the same sort of blanket that he used to track down Balefire. 
I don't I don't think it's the exact same, but it's it's similar enough to at least remind the audience of when Rumpel went looking for his child. And it's probably around the quote unquote same time period, you know, like in the same past twenty years mm. that the two blankets would have been made. <laughs> <laughs> the past 20 years. <laughs> well, if you think about it, Rumpel was, a, if you had his son when he was about 20, 25, so then he's there another 500 years or so, but in the same <laughs> general time frame. <laughs> Hashtag this timeline is confusing. And then finally we see Emma is talking to Gold about how there's no curse more terrifying than finding out why he was abandoned. And then the show would really like you to know that in two weeks there's going to be a musical. And then we get a very quick look at it. We see Hook, obviously in the past because he's wearing the red vest, which usually signals past flashbacks, um, singing with a whole lot of pirates. We also see the evil queen snowing and granny in enchanted forest clothing. The background looks like a tavern maybe. So I have no idea – when this all takes place, because we know that they are singing in the present day and apparently in the past and, you know, just forgot to mention it over the past six years, that one time that everybody burst into song. And we are going to go on to a little bit more of that episode and right after this, because um, we did get some more information on it. We did. So, but remember, two weeks, because the show, really two weeks, wa- the show would really like it if you all remembered that. <laughs> yes. Because they want you to watch it. They really do. So we got some photos. We did. And there were, okay, (laughs) there were a fair amount of photos, but they're all of like one scene again. (laughs) One scene and they're all lots of close-ups. Well, no, I think it was two scenes. It was two scenes. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. But they all took place at Gold's shop. Yes. So in the beginning, we see that Emma, Belle, and Gold are in the shop, and they have Gideon tied to a chair. Of course. And it looks like Gold is holding some sort of potion. And then we get a lot of close-ups of all of them. Yep, Emma's back in her red jacket, so she's out doing some savoring. Yep. Some save... Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Savior. Savoring. She's out doing some savoring. That's really hard to say. And then Regina shows up, and we see... Okay, so this photo has got Regina, Hook, Charming, Belle, Gold, Emma, and Snow. And they're all surrounding the Blue Fairy, who is not awake yet. Right. But then the photo switches. The next photo, you see Snow. um, Well, you see the Black Fairy with her hand on Blue's neck. Yeah. And then it's like everybody vanishes because suddenly there's no Blue, no... No Black Fairy. <laughs> well, no, in that photo, you see, and Hook is standing behind him, behind, like, in the group. Yeah. Like, standing at the ready with a sword out. Right. This is so confusing. Well, I think the photos are massively out of order in order to confuse you, but what I think happens here is that you then see a picture of Snow with her hand around Blue's neck, and I think what happens is that the Black Fairy has impersonated Snow White. Yeah, and probably. she poofs her and blew away, which is why the la- one of the other images shows like a shocked Emma, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" And you see that both Charming and Snow and the Blue Fairy have disappeared. So I think Black and like zaps them away herself and uh, and Blue. That makes more sense to me. So yeah, and those were the photos we got. We really don't learn anything 
But at least there were no woods. That's true. There were no trees. But we got two script teases. We did. Um, so for the first one, I think I'll be Mr. Gold. Okay. So that means I will be Belle. Did that make you feel better? No. <laughs> I mean, at least he's honest. No, it didn't. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. And then for number two, uh, I'll be Snow White. Okay, so I'll be Regina. All right, Regina, it's time to put on your mayor pants. Excuse me? <laughs> and scene. So that's all we have for the episode. We do, but we do have quite a bit for the next episode, which is, as you know, in two weeks, the musical. Really? There's a musical? There is. Okay, so first up, we got some first looks. We did, and... I think Hunter and I feel the same way about a lot of these, so... Okay, so the first one we got, E.T. Online had a picture of Hook. Yes. And he's dressed up in a tux. Yeah, it's the first look at Hook's wedding outfit. So, I mean, when when men get married, I mean, there isn't a whole lot of variation. They generally show up in a tux of, or, you know, of some sort. And it's usually black and white and there's not a whole lot of variation i mean i've seen like guys do linens i've seen khakis and stuff like that but usually it's pretty standard it is so eddie and adam of course had some stuff to say and eddie said adam and i both thought that hook needed to have a tux that reflects his personality so you can't go from leather to just a basic tux we felt like he had to have a little edge so the velvet felt like the hook version of fancy which you can't even tell in this photo. I, I don't know what it's going to be like when you actually see it on the screen. Right. But he – it's a black tux. And it's all black. Like, the shirt's black. Everything, Everything is black. Everything is black. Everything. Like, like, I've seen black shirts and a black tux, but with, like, a colorful tie. Right. He could do a, di- a deep red tie. Exactly. He has a deep red vest when he's playing, you know, past pirate hook. So why not have a red bow tie? Um, and I'll bring up the color red again when we talk about Emma in a few moments. But some sort of color because he's literally head to toe in nothing but heavy black suit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, the the jacket is velvet, which for me is an interesting choice it kind of takes it to a 1970s prom level in my opinion (laughs) um now with that said colin o'donohue of course he does look nice it's oh yeah no he looks good it's just it's just it's a weird aesthetic yes but the um the other thing the photo shows is that it looks very much like archie is the one who's marrying hook and emma because Mm -hmm. he's he's kind of Right behind Hook's shoulder where the minister um, or other religious affiliated person would stand. So it looks like Archie is marrying Captain Swan just like he married Rumbell back in season three. Because he's probably the only ordained minister. He got it online. He got it from a curse. <laughs> and then, so then – Yeah, we get an Emma first look. We did. And this is from Entertainment Weekly. And Eddie said that Emma knows the final battle is in front of her, but she in this moment is brave and is not going to let her troubles of whatever they're dealing with get in the way of her happiness. So she's truly following her mother's advice to live her life. And then we get a photo of Emma being walked down the aisle by both Snow and Charming. 
And it's the first look at her wedding dress. So <laughs> this um, wedding dress. Okay. We don't see all of it. And I will preface that because True. from what we saw of this big dress and a big headpiece. Huge headpiece. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm not either. And it's like Hunter said, we don't see all of it in this photo. But if you guys really do want to see it, there are two ways to do this. First, Jennifer Morrison did post a full shot of herself in the dress on her Instagram. And second, this dress is almost exactly an exact replica of the dress Grace Kelly wore when she married Prince Rainier of Monaco back in the 60s. Do you think it's her mom's dress that they somehow got it? No, it's not. We saw that. Never mind. Yeah, no. Forget um, that. <laughs> and Jennifer Morrison, when she posted this photo on Instagram, did say that she had a hand in picking out what Emma would wear. And she wanted to go with the Grace Kelly dress because back in the day they were called um, a modern day fairy tale. This, you know, successful movie actress who literally becomes a princess by marrying this prince of Monaco. And I I get what they're going for, but the dress is long-sleeved with a very high neck, and it's buttoned all the way from navel to neck, and it's very lacy with a huge veil and this, perfectly honest, really ugly, tragic headpiece. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of it at all. I don't feel like it's an Emma Swan wedding dress. No. Um. If they wanted to pull from Grace Kelly, that's perfectly fine. But I think they needed to modernize it. You know, yeah. that dress was modern, like, in the 60s. We live in 2017. <laughs> We're talking over 50 years here, people. Yeah. And I really, really wish that they had found some way to incorporate the color red because it's her savior color. Yeah. So like red, red sash, roses, even roses, red shoes for some, you know, some fl- fun and flair. And then you tie that in with Hook by having him wear like a red bow tie or something. Right. Um, the, and I cannot say this enough. That headpiece is hideous. <laughs> like it's it's covers the whole top of her head. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like a cap of some sort. And then you have a veil on top of it. Yeah. It's not pretty. Um, But we do also see some of the other cast members in their wedding attire. So Charmaine is in a very standard tux. I couldn't tell if Snow was wearing pants or a long skirt, but they're black. I didn't think she was dressed up enough for how dressy everyone else was. Yeah, and she's just wearing like this salmon-colored top. Yeah. Um, Henry is also wearing a nice suit, and he's very clearly holding his Once Upon a Time storybook. And I have no idea why. I mean, he he's it's very much in the frame of the shot. Um, so I don't know if he's going to get up there and read something during the wedding. I don't know if he's there to record the wedding or what. And then it looks like they are getting married outside. And there was a behind-the-scenes source who revealed that they did get married on a rooftop. And if you look at the photo down at the floor, it's checkered, like black and white checkers, which mm-hmm. is Granny's. So I think they get married on Granny's roof. <laughs> okay. Which is, you know, sure. <laughs> um, but they at least decorated the set because there is some canopy and some flowers. And it takes place um, at sunset. There's a very CGI sunset happening in the background. Okay. Let's wait till we see it. Yep. I'm sure 
we will have nothing but wedding photos to talk about next week. Yes. But it's also, in case you guys didn't know, the musical. It's a musical? (laughs) Entertainment Weekly did do an interview with Adam and Eddie. And so they were kind of just asking about the about the episode. So why is everyone breaking into song? And Adam says that we can just say that we want to keep the machinations a little bit off a surprise, but that it's Emma's journey, the journey that began in the pilot and that we've seen throughout the whole series. The singing and the musical is tied directly to Emma. They also asked, why did you decide to do a musical for Emma's wedding? And Eddie said, at the beginning of the year, we met with these composers, Alan and Michael, who we love. Then we started talking about the musical. We wanted it to be a special episode. We thought Emma's wedding felt like the natural milestone for us. And finally, what can you tease for some of the songs that we'll be hearing? And Eddie says, the songs are all original. They're specific to each character. Hook song and the Evil Queen, Snow and Charming. It's like their episodes all individually have their own tone to them. I think the songs are as well. Okay. Yeah. I'm still not quite sure how that works out timeline-wise, but okay. We have to wait two weeks for the musical episode. I know. But remember, guys, (laughs) two weeks. It's a musical. All right. So moving on, though, from that, we got another article very recently from EW that was, I'm going to say, shocking and for me, a little bit rage inducing. (laughs) And I'm I'm not going to, I'm going to caveat everything by saying that I was not a fan of this article and I'm hopefully going to explain why. EW revealed that there were early plans to do a vignette-style episode that would have provided an update, or even some closure, on secondary characters whose stories haven't been touched upon in a while. The idea was that it would open on Henry and a storybook, as he recounted tales about Maleficent and Lily, Will and Anastasia, and others. Adam said that there's so much we want to explore with our core characters— While we would love to tell you what's going on with Catherine or the Red Queen, if we can find ways to slip in bits of it or tell you what's going on with Lily, we'll do it. But to give over a whole episode to it, as much as we loved the idea on a conceptual level, it's such precious real estate. Not that we don't love the minor characters, but we have to honor the main cast. And then Eddie just, you know, very bluntly said, the truth is we're not going to get to it this year. Yeah. So... This article angered me, Hunter. <laughs> it did. And me too, because we've learned about all these characters in the past. And now we're just not going to learn what happened to them. Right. I mean, these aren't just, hey, let's play catch up. They have set up huge stories with these characters. And then they've all been shipped to what we sometimes call forgotten character island, like Lily and her father. And we still right. have no didn't, idea who that is. And didn't Emma promise to help her find her father? Right. And or how is Will in Storybrooke? And where's Anastasia? Why did they split up after Wonderland? What's going on? Is she dead? Is she alive? So this angered me for a couple reasons. Number one, maybe they need to stop introducing plot ideas without having a resolution in mind. That'd be a good idea. I mean, I think that's kind of writing 101. If you have an idea, finish it. Yeah. Number two, what is the point of telling us this? (laughs) Because there are kind of two options. One, you could leave the audience to think that you forgot about the stories of several big plot points, like Lily and Lily's father, Will and Anastasia. Or two, you let the audience know that you remember all of this, 
thought about it, and then decided to scrap the idea of answering the questions because of your shiny, shiny plot plot. <laughs> and what really, I think my co-mod at the forums, Matthew Paul, pretty much summed up everything really, really well. So I'm actually just going to read his response, which that the reason Adam and Eddie decided not to do this was because they want to explore things with our core characters. Even though they keep, and this is Matt talking, even though they keep using a reset button on them, do we need Rumpel to continually flip-flop between good and evil? Do we need Emma to keep putting her walls up? Do we need Regina and Zelina to continue their sibling bickering? Do we need more of Hook having some random dark secret that suddenly comes to the surface? Do we need more flashbacks of Evil Queen trying to kill Snow? If they stop needlessly recycling all of this, then maybe they'd actually have the time to cover those drop storylines. End quote. Yeah. And I think that, I think Matt hit it square on the head. That's exactly it. And why I felt this article was just so rage-inducing. Um, yeah. You know, we've probably got one more year left. And... So what are they going to do? Like, just close all the storylines next year? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we've been talking about what their plans for Season 7 are for quite a while. And it sounds like the the tale of Once Upon a Time of Emma and her family is going to come to a close at the end of this year. And that yes. what's happening in Season 7, you know, to use um, Star Trek language, is the, like the next generation. That there's stories to tell, but it's not the stories we've been watching for the past six years so if that book essentially closes and we're opening a new one then they're never going to tell us about lily or her father or what the heck happened to will and anastasia or anything that we've questioned over the past couple years so yeah i kind of wish this article had never come out yeah that would have been nice because then it gets y'all your hopes up and you're like oh wait no never mind right well let's move on to the final battle yes so a bunch of news outlets are beginning to tease the finale, basically. Yes. EW has a bunch. So up first, EW did have um, a final battle question came from Seamus, who said, anything you can tease about the final battle on Once Upon a Time? The wand shard that Hook brought back from Neverland will pay a pivotal role in the final battle. Tiger Lily has played a key role in what's going to be happening between the Black Fairy and all of our characters, especially Emma, Adam Horowitz says. That little bit of help she gave is going to be really important. So back in the synopsis, there was a fairy godmother who comes to fiona and tells her about her son and i have to wonder if the fairy godmother is tiger lily or the blue fairy i really really want it to be the blue fairy please i don't think tiger lily should have been alive then or a fairy (laughs) right that's a bizarre revelation um but I really want it to be the Blue Fairy because, you know, she's been around since season one and she's been involved in Rumpel's life for so long because she's the one who gave Balefire that bean. Yeah. And who tried to send Rumpel as the Dark One out of the Enchanted Forest. So I really want it to be the Blue Fairy. <laughs> Please. Okay. So there was another EW article about the finale. And this one says following the musical episode because there's, there's going to be a musical <laughs> which will feature Emma and Hook's wedding the savior will face off with the black fairy the final battle will test Emma's beliefs in a way we haven't seen since the pilot Ooh. Edward Kitsa says 
Adam Horowitz then jumps in and says, we're going to go back to places we haven't been since the pilot. And then Kitsis takes over again because they keep cutting each other off. And we can tell you that we're going to be completing the stories for a group of people. While the Once Upon a Time bosses caution that there will be death in the final hour, the real threat may actually be to Storybrooke. The Black Fairy created the Dark Curse, which birthed the town. I would worry about everything, Kitsis jokes. The Black Fairy has planned her happy ending, and what her happy ending looks like is probably something we should all be frightened of. Right. And that actually nicely dovetails into the finale info we got from TV Line, complete with a picture. So from TV Line, per its title, this is the final battle, says Kitsis, and thus the end of Henry's storybook. The two hours are devoted to everything we've set up for six years, and the final scene will let you know what we're going to do in the event of season seven. After 132 episodes, we wanted to be able to complete this chapter and set up the new one, with help from characters played by Andrew J. West and Allison Fernandez. They tie directly into our future plans, says Eddie uh, Adam as well as what we're currently doing. So there's a picture that accompanied this TV line article, and I think it's showing the alternate reality that we saw a little bit when they were filming the finale. Um, You guys remember the pictures of, like, Henry getting hit by a car or something, and it looked like the Black Fairy was wearing Cora's clothing and we were all like, what's happening? Yeah. This picture from TV line shows Emma in a very bare bones apartment with Henry. And she's wearing something that looks straight out of the Terminator movies as if she's Sarah Connor. <laughs> um, so I don't know if the, th- that the Black Fairy alternate reality is that she ends up being the one to cast the dark curse and now she's the mayor and maybe emma is living back in boston and henry has to go and find her and convince her to come to storybrook and break the curse or something it feels as though we're going back to the very very beginning and emma has to do it all over or something and she's gonna you know what took her one whole season six years ago is now going to take her two episodes oh fun <laughs> yeah. let's just cram it all in so make sure you rewatch the pilot if you can because if they say they're going back to places and you don't remember it it might be helpful to watch the pilot right or even all of season one <laughs> there you go so before we see the final battle we get a special we do and this is the first time they've aired a pre-finale special they used to air specials before a season began but this is before the and the finale and at the and at the halfway point too yeah so on the night of the finale abc will be airing a pre-finale special called the final battle begins from 7 p.m to 8 p.m and then the finale will be a two hours like they have been for the past couple years so that is three solid hours of once upon a time woohoo I got a lot of recording to do that night. Yeah, that's that's quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a lot of stuff we had for you today. We do, and I suspect we'll have quite a bit more next week because you know they're going to be ramping up for the musical episode. There's a musical episode? There's a musical episode, in case nobody knew. <laughs> but that's all we have for you this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. You can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers. Oh.